Hello, my name is Flick Beckett and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly sponsored by Kia, the champion of independent cinema nationwide. On today's programme, we talk with BAFTA nominees for Best Debut Feature, director and writer Georgia Oakley and producer Ellen Sifra about their outstanding film, Blue Jean. What's wrong? You look stressed. I don't want this doing this on every part of my life. Every part of your life? If anyone found out, I'd never work again. The gay and lesbian lifestyle is not natural or normal, and it never will be. What I don't get is how two girls actually... Just ignore them. So are you dead? I'm talking about me. Welcome to the Picture House podcast, director and writer of Blue Jean, Georgia Oakley, and producer, Ellen Sifra. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thanks Thank for you. having us. Uh, so congratulations on a really brilliant film, BAFTA nominated for Outstanding Debut. How are you both feeling about that? Uh, yeah, we're feeling really, I think, a little overwhelmed at this point, but really, really happy that hopefully this means more people will be able to see the film. Those that need to see the film hopefully will be able to see the film. That's how I feel. Yes, same really. I feel like the, the timing is is good with the UK release coming up and yeah, just just really, really happy and just want to enjoy it at this point. It has been so well received. Um, you also won the audio, the People's Choice Awards at Venice, which I think is a really significant award. I, I personally, I think audience awards are quite a great indication of how a film has truly landed. Uh, congratulations just on that. Um, so, Georgia, take us back to the start and what inspired you to go back to that period in time and tell Jean's specific story? Well, Ellen and I were working together uh, already and I think we, we'd had a lot of discussions about internalised homophobia and the idea that as, as humans we're forced to kind of wear multiple masks in different parts of our lives and that you know we could be one person with our family and one person in the workplace so we were kind of talking about those things already and then I was doing some research and I came across a newspaper article about the lesbian abseilers who had uh, abseiled into the the pub uh, from the public gallery of the house of lords into the debate that was happening on section 28 and I was struck by this amazing image of those women wrapping themselves in washing line, but I also hadn't known anything about Section 28. So I was immediately kind of piecing together things from my own life and realizing what a crazy legacy this, this law must have had on queer people's lives, including my own. So I started thinking about the effects that it would have had on, on students, but also the effects that it would have had on teachers. And from there, we started a very intensive research process, speaking to as many people as we could, both PE teachers who had worked at the time, lesbian PE teachers, but also members of the kind of more activist side of things who had who had marched against Section 28 or who had, uh, the people who started Stonewall, we spoke to the people who started LGBT History Month, we were speaking to everyone and anyone we could who could give their insight. Um, and that was something that really excited me as a filmmaker to be able to kind of throw myself into that research. And so, Ellen, was um, Jean then a kind of amalgam of all these people that you had interviewed or did she come together as a very real person for you right from the start, if you know what I mean? I think she did. I, I wouldn't say she was an amalgam of, of those people because there were 
there were people, we spoke to teachers who decided quite early on to actually come out on television and, and who were quite like active in, in their fight against section 28, but they, they, they could do that for various reasons. One being where they lived in the country and others had an experience that was much closer to genes, uh, often more like in the, in the North of England or like in smaller cities where they felt more isolated. So I, I feel like stories helped inform certain beats in the script, certain scenes. But I think the character of Jean really comes from, from Georgia's head. And I think has, it really hasn't changed much since the very beginning. Um, it's more the other characters around her that either appeared in the story or actually the, the Lois character, for instance, changed, changed a little bit through, throughout the project. Um, yeah. Would you agree, Georgia? Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, so I suppose the the all the intensive research you did was able enabled you to create the atmosphere in which Jean had to move. I guess would would that be right? Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, with sort of it, I would say that the yeah the beats of the story, just as Ellen said, the beats of the story and um, things that happened, like a, a teacher running into a student in a bar. You know, that was something that we were either reading in um, the interviews that we had found or speaking to people about having lived that experience but then I was also infusing the character of Jean with my own sort of emotional history and experiences I'd had with internalized homophobia or microaggressions that I had experienced uh, as a member of the queer community um, and, and I'm aware that I was only born in 1988 but I felt that there was some, uh, that it was important for this film to be kind of in conversation with things that are going on now. And so that's why I felt that it was important to infuse it with my own experiences, because uh, when you look at it like that, not all too much has changed. And I would, sorry, I would just add to that. I think where research really informed us is in what was at stake in the film. And... <laughs> that, you know, it wasn't so much about the fear of getting fired um, or losing your job or like, you know, bricks being thrown um, through the window. I mean, obviously those things did happen and, and they were terrifying, but these weren't the things that we wanted to focus on. So then we had to find what was it that in Jean was like the most painful thing? What, what was at stake for her personally, internally? And I think that came from conversations with teacher and like that came to be like the emotional stakes and her relationships and all that. So, so that comes directly, the whole relationship with Viv comes directly from those conversations. And I think that was one of the things that I felt was so unique about your film, because, you know, we've seen all this sort of banner waving and the violence, but actually this is the first time I've seen a character like Jean who is very contained, who, and, and I know her, I've got, you know, everyone's got a friend like Jean, who's just a quietly dignified person, and the stress of how she's living her life, and the toll that it would, it takes on her, and I've, I've never seen a, a, a gay film from this perspective before, and I just thought, God, thank God, you <laughs> know, it's, it's such a relief to see it, you know, because I've seen it in Moonlight and It's a Sin. And I think that you um, capture so beautifully elements from both those things. Like with Moonlight, it was such a, 
an internal struggle that you saw with him, but with It's a Sin, you saw the camaraderie and the joy, but that you, you infused them both so brilliantly with this film. I really can't congratulate you enough. Sorry, that's just Thank a bit you. of a fan <laughs> statement there. <laughs> I think it's really important to have, have queer stories about all different types of people. And we spoke about this a lot at the beginning of the development process and uh, exactly as you're saying, you know, Jean isn't somebody who naturally wants to kind of fly a flag, but she is sort of forced into that role. And that was something that, yeah, I was always thinking about, you know, I'm always conscious that queer people are kind of bundled into one category, but within that there are all different types of humans. And my experience is that depending on who you are as a person or depending on your unique life experience, that's going to dictate whether or not you notice for instance, somebody looking at you in the street when you're holding hands with your girlfriend or you're totally oblivious to it and don't don't even, you know, don't care and don't notice. And my experience is that of the queer women that I know that, that, that uh, those experiences can be wildly different depending on the personality of the person and their own experiences leading up to that moment. And so, yeah, I think it's important to, to show um, that those differences exist within the queer community and that not everybody is the same or feels the same or wants to talk about it in the same way. And through that specificity you give us the internal world of someone that we can be empathetic and completely compassionate about because we would all understand that extreme internal stress. You do know it. You know everyone knows what it's like to be and in a moment, most for most people, but not in a world like genius, where you are a stranger and you are trying to navigate constantly against people that aren't welcoming to you, you know. So for me, it felt like a kind of almost a spy movie or um, like a war, like she was at war. You know, what would you say about that, Helen? Yeah, I think what we tried to say from, from the beginning, um, when we were like trying to convince people to to support the film is that this experience that she has is, is not specific to queer people i mean anyone who is othered in some kind of way whether it's by like the their ethnicity or their gender or just the fact that they're like an introvert and they have to be in an extroverted professional world basically anyone who's, who cannot be themselves at work or in a context in a circle they evolve in uh, and who can't be the same person that they are at home in their private life. This is something that anyone can empathize with. And, and it's, a, it's a huge part of the film. Uh, we look at it through the queer aspect and, and a, a slightly more almost that feels dystopic, but obviously isn't because it's based on his, historical facts. But this is something that, yeah, we feel it is quite universal and, and can really break you from the inside to, to, to have that constant fear of having, I think, Georgia, you always use the expression, the performative element of self mm. um, as, as really what this film is about. Mm -hmm. And how if you, if you, if too much focus is on sort of forcing you to be a different person in all these different parts of your life, if you're focusing too much on splitting off your personality in that way and 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 performing based on you know where you are and who you're with then 
at a certain point you it's very easy to sort of lose touch with who you actually are who, who is the authentic person beneath that and I think that's something that's not really touched on enough is it's not just sort of playing a role because of the way the circumstances uh, inform the situation but also how after a while it can be hard to to really know yourself if if you spend so much time performing and to capture that to capture that is I think incredible and your lead actor Rose McKeon goodness me <laughs> she was extraordinary tell me about finding her and casting her was she exactly what you were looking for she was yeah uh, casting Rosie was was um we were we were in the middle of the pandemic and all sorts of things were going wrong and and we were struggling to get financing for the film so we were in a bit of a dark place I seem to remember and then we received some tapes from the casting director and Rosie just I remember she had this blue backdrop and and it was so bright and it, you could see the blue of her eyes and I've since discovered that that's just the backdrop that her agency uses for everyone but I thought it was something to do with the film and she just had the the stillness and the, the energy for me casting is really all about energy and like the energetic feeling between two actors or with one actor and how they hold a space and and for her in her performance she just she knew exactly how to show the character as we just said you know it sort of feels like she's at war there was a line in the script about her being still as a hunted deer and she just got that. She could be so still, but communicate all of this complex and often conflicting uh, emotions underneath the surface without um, appearing to try too hard to do that. And it was, yeah, I mean, she she blew us away on set. She she proved to 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 be able to stretch herself in ways that we wouldn't have known then. But she, yeah, she was she was always very impressive from the beginning, and it wasn't. It wasn't a difficult casting process from that respect. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before. So that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. And Ellen, tell us about Kerry Hayes and the character of Viv. Again, I don't think I've seen such a true and unexpected relationship that's warm and sweet. And it's not rocked by Viv being aggressive like she looks, but actually by her sense of dignity. Can you tell me about defying expectations with the character of Viv? Yeah, you know, it's funny because Viv was always written like that in the script. But when it came to casting, some people were surprised by the choice of Carrie, by, by like her physicality, because they had read her differently. They, they, it's like almost they'd skipped over her description, um, which we found interesting because it shows how much we're used to the same type of, of people uh, in films. Casting Carrie, we... That happened actually a year after casting Rosie uh, when we were much closer to, to shooting the film. And we were lucky enough to do auditions in person with Rosie for, for the role of, of Viv. 
And I think Carrie had, she had the sense of humor that Viv needed. Um, she, she could really, like Lucy for, for, for Lois, she could really push uh, Rosie and make her almost like uncomfortable, but there was instant chemistry between them. And we could also feel like, we, what I think the scene we rehearsed was the, the breakup scene in, in, a, in a, sorry, massive spoiler. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> anyway. oh, you know, who knows what, what happens after yeah. that? <laughs> it was the scene outside the club, wasn't it? We did with those guys in that audition. I felt like we'd done the, the, the scene in the cafe anyway. It was quite an emotional scene and, and we could see that Carrie was going on the edge of her emotion, but like keeping it inside. And there was so much depth in that performance, so many layers. Uh, that we felt like, okay, she she definitely had the range. She completely understood the character. She had the sense of humor. She, you know, she made she made sense with Rosie and for us that was like <coughs> chemistry between the two actors was like incredibly important uh, because it's often something that doesn't quite work in 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 gay films. Um, so yeah, she she was kind of like the obvious obvious choice. And also it was kind of inverted, I think, because she, our expectations would be that Viv would be the angry one, but actually, you know, she was the, the, the sort of fulcrum of the relationship. She was the, 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 the one who was at peace with who she was. It doesn't mean to say that she wasn't up against an, enor an enormous amount of societal pressure, but you, you could see her deflect it and flick it off quite easily. I love the bit where she blows the woman a kiss in the cafe. Yeah, yeah. she's she's definitely the most uh, emotionally stable uh, one, and and the one who's like happy within her own skin. So she's yeah, she's she's the and she's a warm and fuzzy teddy bear in some way, uh, which again you don't expect from someone who's butch looking. But you know, we 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 didn't want to fall into the that, cliches of just because you've got a shaved head means that you're like yeah hard on like it, 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 you, it was like soft on the inside hard on the outside I think is what you said Georgia mm -hmm. yeah there was always the assumption when people read the script they'd see the word leather and the shaved head and and they I think they read Viv with a different voice in mind and that's what Ellen was touching on was that there was some some people were surprised by our casting of Kerry but in my mind Kerry was exactly how I'd imagined Viv to be from the very beginning and her ability to disarm Jean the way that she does. Um, and also the ability, we don't have enough space in the film to explore the fact that yes, she's happy in her own skin and yes, she's able to deflect things easily, but she, there's a cost obviously to that, to that way of living and the women that we spoke to, I mean, anyone who was living how Viv is living in a co-op, you know, there, there was a sort of ghettoization of lesbian women that was occurring and most of those women that we spoke to had absolutely no contact with their families and hadn't done for decades and I wanted to be able to find somebody who could kind of hold all of that in her performance without us actually going there with the story I wanted you to be able to read on her face that there's actually a history of all sorts of things um and that that has all added together to make her who she is but we don't have time in the story to kind of go there and I think Kerry does that brilliantly Absolutely, she does. There was a, a shot of her face where I just felt the legacy of pain and outcast and 
you know, and I just, I, I was incredibly moved by her performance. But, but to go on to the co-op, again, I haven't seen such a true and joyous reflection of finding your tribe, which again, I think everybody can relate to, you know, a place of safety and refuge, you know, that of people that really truly get you and understand you and are of like minds, like minds as, not, as, not, as, as much as anything else, you know. So um, yeah, tell me about the co-op. Was that based on a real place? Yes, it was. I mean, I'd done a lot of research early in the process, maybe even before we started um, developing Blue Jean about lesbian housing co-ops. I actually lived on a street in London where there had been a lesbian housing co-op and they'd knocked down the wall of the garden in the garden so that all of the gardens on that street were connected. So I'd sort of been interested in it on a personal level. And then we spoke to women who had lived that experience in Newcastle in the 80s and we were told about this synagogue that had been repurposed as a lesbian housing co-op and that was it, it was it was described to us as being a very sort of grand or sort of fate there was a faded grandeur to this space and we and we were hoping to be able to shoot in the exact location but obviously it's been turned into kind of swanky flats now and uh and but it yeah it was important for us to um to try and get as close to that as possible and to populate that world with as many queer people as we could with different you know we wanted it to be a place not just of community but of sort of activity because that was what that was what we found in our research was that it wasn't just you know people sat around watching tv in the co-op it was all sorts of things would be you know the activism that we we allude to in the film but we don't again have enough time to really go there um with that we wanted to sort of hint at that in the co-op and and, and hopefully hopefully that comes across definitely i thought the film was absolutely beautiful i i, I thought the color grading and the the look and feel of it was just stunning helen can you tell me a bit about about that like just at the beginning like the blue it was there was just something about it that just made me exhale and i just thought i'm going to really enjoy this film <laughs> That's actually something that that was there uh, from the the very beginning in in Georgia's vision, and one of the things that we connected over creatively, we we were always like inspired by French cinema or American indie cinema rather than I would say grittier, social realist uh, British films, and so it was important for us to have color uh, in the film and. And, and and make it realistic, but also have this sort of like poetic element that elevated it. Uh, and, and, and that's why we, we chose a, a French um, cinematographer. And I think the, the other, the other, well, George, I could probably speak better about this than I, than I can, but uh, the timeless element, we always wanted to do like a film that didn't feel cliche in its portrayal of the 80s, but also felt it was finding the right balance between feeling authentic and also having like some creative liberty so that it became an artistic representation of the 80s as well and, and had that timeless element so that it felt like a film that actually was made in the 80s as opposed to a film that was made in 2022 about the 80s. And the, the 16 millimeter, um, I think, really helped in, in achieving that as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a it was about assembling a team who shared that vision as well. So our our costume designer, our production designer, 
and our cinematographer all really shared that desire to communicate the 80s but with a sort of subtly heightened lens we weren't kind of wedded we did use a lot of documentary photography from the time and in each scene there would be kind of a prop here or there that you know was lifted from a photograph or something that we, we knew was exactly accurate of from that moment but we didn't want to overpopulate that world with references to the 80s or um use the slightly more kind of garish color palettes that we've come to understand as being 80s it was always a very soft sort of pastely at times color palette that that we were working with and that was that was really there from the very beginning um i didn't want it i always wanted it to have a kind of softer softer edges and 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 that not to be too as ellen says for there to be color a lot of films that we we've seen uh set particularly in that part of the world are uh pretty monotone so yeah that was that was really important to me like I said, it's such a beautiful film, beautifully cinematic. So I'm sure having watched it in a cinema with an audience, can you please tell me why people should go to the cinema to watch this film? To go see it in a cinema because sound, as, as uh, everyone knows, is 50% of the viewing experience. And if you can watch it, our, our sound designer recently was nominated for his second Oscar this year, uh, not for this film obviously, but for Top Gun, but he's so brilliant and the music and the, compo the composer, the music was brilliant and, and there's a lot of 80s tracks that people will hopefully like and I feel like you're really only getting half of the experience if you if you wait to watch it at home. If you watch it in the cinema, you'll get the, the full sonic experience that we would hope that you would have. And I think the the audience reactions during the film, the you know the ooh and ahs and laughs. There's quite a few laughs in the film. I feel like you you experience those a lot more if you have people sharing the same feelings next to you and and the emotional experience and, and the reward at the end feels feels much stronger when it's when it's collectively uh, shared. So I think. Yeah, I think some aspects of the film, whether it's the emotion or the, the comic relief uh, moments, are much stronger when, when you go on the big screen. Best served in a cinema, absolutely. <laughs> Georgia and Ellen, thank you so much for joining me on the Picture House podcast. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you both. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the film, so good luck with that. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much.